Hello everyone. Welcome to the CVR Endovascular Podcast. My name is Jim Rickers and I am also your host for this podcast. CVR Endovascular is the Circe Open Access Journal for vascular and endovascular publications. We opened for submissions in September 2017 and published the first papers in 2018. It is a fully independent peer-reviewed journal and published by Springer Nature. All papers published in our journal are free to access and to download. Papers in the journal are indexed in PubMed and in Scopus and have a very high number of downloads. I hope you enjoy this episode. It's already Charles Donner, the founding father of interventional radiology 60 years ago, who stated that interventional radiology would only be viable when direct patient referral and clinical responsibility was established. He himself knew what he was talking about, as his technique of angioplasty was immediately banned for more than 10 years in the United States by vascular surgeons, calling it a dangerous technique. Also, the open hostility towards the radiologist's daughter, picture him as a madman, calling him Crazy Charlie, and to disenfranchise the radiologist's daughter, not being a doctor in their perception, and denying him the right to treat patients. And although our business case is simple and clear, and the added value of interventional radiology is actually beyond discussion, we are still where Charles' daughter started 60 years ago. True. There are some individual IRs that have locally established a sort of independency. But when you take a closer look, it's often no more than window dressing based on opportunism and enthusiasm. Nowhere near a simple recognition any other clinician gets together with his fellowship certificate. Recognition does not come easy. And I now see there are two roads to make RR a medical specialty with all the clinical rights included. The two possibilities are bottom-up and top-down. Top-down is trying to get a formal recognition embedded in the traditional medical regulatory and bottom-up is to start IR as a daycare service, as a local initiative, and work your way up from there. In this podcast, we're going to talk to two experts in the field. First, Professor Hamadi, who has recently published, together with Dr. McCafferty, an editorial in CVR Endovascular called The Rocky Road to Recognize Interventional Radiology as a Full Clinical Specialty. And he is aiming at the regulatory system. Professor Hamadi is Professor in Interventional Radiology at the Imperial College in London. The other person we talked to is Professor Mike Lee, 
Professor Mike Lee is a professor in interventional radiology in Dublin, and he recently chaired an internet session organized by Cersei on IR as daycare service. I'm happy that we're able to talk to both of them. The first person we're going to talk to is Professor Hamadi. Welcome, Professor Hamadi. My first question is, why should the current position of interventional radiology that has been functioning for 60 years change? Um, the, the, the previous generations of interventional radiologists uh, enjoyed a lovely lifestyle, uh, sort of nine to five or eight to four uh, guys. They come to the job, they do, after finishing reporting some diagnostic radiology, they do some uh, excellent jobs in interventional procedures, creating new ones, providing some medical solutions to the some of the most difficult uh, clinical scenarios and making uh, patients' life better. Uh, and then they wash their hands and go home, and they they don't really uh, think about patients even an hour after the procedure. Fortunately for the patients, uh, things have changed now. Uh, those days have gone forever. The many of interventional radiology procedures, uh, together with their supporting uh, evidence, matured enough and become integrated in the heart of management of many uh, pathologies. Now, the price of this success uh, becomes obvious that the the, our clinical responsibilities uh, has radically changed. Uh, the workload has gone to the roof, uh, and the, the complexity and time required to spend with those patients doing those procedures uh, becomes uh, quite uh, demanding. And we lost that luxury of being diagnostic radiology doing interventional procedures when we are free. Uh, interventional radiology is not a hobby anymore. It is a professional duty that needs 100% uh, dedication and, and focusing. Uh, one uh, other important point that with this historical success of interventional radiology, it, it becomes inevitable that other clinical specialties start looking at it and uh, try to learn and, and do uh, those procedures and, and, and no procedures is Im immunized from from that, and I don't blame them. But it, um, I think we have a, a duty. I mean, I, I don't really uh, remember or know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that any other specialty in the history of medicine has seen such intrusion into their technical skills like interventional radiology. That's not a problem It's of others. It's our problem that we need to fix. It is our moral duty towards our patients and also towards our trainees, the medical students that we're breaching every day. It is our duty to pass them a live torch of a, a, a live career, not a dying or dead one. Thank you. My second question is not having direct referral also sometimes has something good as we are like many other specialties we are not self-referrers can you comment on this well i mean that's that's a good point and i can see where you're coming from 
but the what but I see it from a different angle. I think the by practicing as a proper uh, clinicians in, in interventional radiology, we are taking the, the patient care and quality of care a level higher because we are sharing with other uh, referral clinicians uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the patient assessment related to interventional procedures. Uh, we are actively involved in option selections, preparing patients before the procedure and managing patients and family uh, expectations, and then doing the procedure and then providing the post-procedure care, which is we should be in a position to provide the best uh, in those, because we know what we're doing. If there's a complication, it is our complication that we need to deal with. So uh, there are pros and cons, but I think by practicing as a competent clinicians uh, and interacting with our colleagues properly, at the, uh, that will provide a much better care to patients. You know that being acknowledged as a full medical specialty is a very difficult pathway as all the other medical specialties have to agree. Do you think it's possible? It is absolutely doable. There is no doubt about that. Uh, the, uh, I don't underestimate the difficulties. I don't underestimate the, uh, the bureaucracy and the, uh, the, the, the struggles that uh, we need to go th uh, through to achieve this, but having uh, Interventional radiologists who really believe in, in this, uh, we need to make the case for change so clear and uh, understandable to everybody. And then we have the willingness and determination to go forward. How long do you think we have to get this whole thing done? Unfortunately, we have less than 10 years. I personally think not recognizing IR as a full medical specialty is one of the biggest mistakes of the healthcare authorities in the last 30 years. We offer what all patients want, minimal invasive and short stay treatment, no scars, no general anesthesia. And on top, we are much cheaper than many other treatments. Why do you think nobody ever recognized how important we are? Yes, you're right. And this is uh, actually disappointing and disheartening that to, to see this uh, happening. But the simple answer to to question why this is, I think it's our fault. Uh, the way interventional radiologists have been practicing and interacting with patients, with with managements, with the public has actually been disappointing. Uh, there, there is no clear and visible identity. We have uh, astonishing shortages, shortage in healthcare uh, uh, economic studies in interventional radiology. The data collection has been really uh, poor, not related to safety or the evidence, but the data collection in general, the build of a huge evidence that was uh, poor, the collaboration between national uh, communities or countries and uh, societies was not at the a, a good level. Engagement with the hospital management has been not really uh, poor, but we're busy always with, with work. We don't really think uh, the political dimension of work. There is politics in everything in life. Uh, medicine is not an exception. 
even in research there are politics and we haven't been really uh, up up to up to speed with that and I mean, in, in general, uh, and luckily this is a decreasing percentage, but there is a percentage of interventional audiologists who are really satisfied to be players in the second or third division league. And even when you invite them to the first division, they don't want to be so. This is decreasing, but that was, I think, one of the reasons. What have been the hurdles and what are still the hurdles to overcome? Who are our friends and who are, more important, our enemies? Um, I think there are, yeah, you're right. And there's so many hurdles, and uh, it, it is not an easy task. And and this is expected if you're trying to build something big. It the 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 the, the challenges, the the hurdles that you need to cross won't be easy. I would say there are some internal and external issues actually. Internally, there is a percentage of of interventional radiologists, although, as I said, as luckily, this is continuously decreasing, especially with the young generations coming through, who either they don't see the danger of what they are, uh, what, of what's happening and the threats, or we call them the challenges, or they don't care, or they have this myth that if they become uh, independent interventional radiologists, they will lose the practice of diagnostic radiology, and that is a good source of income. And I'm saying this is a myth because if you look at the interventional cardiologists, they still practice cardiology, medical cardiology. And by the way, there are so many things that we can learn from interventional cardiology. It is a very successful career, the way they interact among themselves and also with other surgical specialties, with other medical specialties, a very successful group and I think we could benefit a lot from them. Uh, if we go to the outer circle, the diagnostic radiologist, our dear colleague that we work with, uh, again, either they don't see the, 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 the danger or they are so busy with their uh, workload every day and they don't really think of what's coming tomorrow. Although I think this is a particular group, they need to be very careful. They need to adapt to the coming changes. If you look at the artificial intelligence, the radiology will be, if not adapts to the changes quickly, the recruitment will be, recruitment will be a, a, a problem. And I think by one of the adaptations mechanism would be having under the umbrella of radiology, interventional radiology as a clinical specialty because adding this clinical dimension is, as I said, one of the adaptation strategies that keep them alive. Because if you're clinical, you're safe. If you're not clinical, you're a machine. What is the BSIR pathway to become an independent specialty? These things can't happen overnight. And the, what we want from this, we just sit down among ourselves because we had overwhelming majority of our members in the BSR. They want to be clinical specialty because they know what's happening and they know they don't do that, what's going to happen. And that's not, I'm not talking about vascular intervention. I'm talking about even oncology intervention because, as I said, nothing is immune from, from the, 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 the challenge you, you call them or the risk or danger. So we thought that to have a, uh, a viable intervention practice to provide the best care, the best quality of 
of care to patients and safe care, we need there's some basic requirement. First, we need to address the recruitment from day one, because then you attract the right people. You attract people who are not doing it as a hobby. You are the people who are not, uh, who come to diagnostic radiology because of lifestyle and then suddenly discover there is a nice toy there called interventional radiology. We want them from day one coming to do this business. But then they become passionate, then they will excel. So recruitment is one thing. The second thing is the uh, development of a curriculum tailored to interventional radiology. It's a purpose-built curriculum. And the main thing in it is the clinical training. You be a clinical competent uh, individual when you graduate or finish the, the training. And, uh, and this is happening. And the third thing is the serious data collection, because as we said, we need to to show the evidence that it is um, uh, there is a value for money here by practicing minimally invasive surgery, we call it. And the uh, also the we're spending uh, a lot of efforts on public appearance and 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 visibility. We want to be under the Royal College of uh, umbrella of the Royal College of Radiology. We think this is a family that will benefit. There is a mutual benefit from developing. Uh, interventional uh, speciality and I hope and I'm, I think people start seeing it because otherwise the college will be under uh, a big challenge. Uh, so uh, th these are the main lines that we think that we this in this at this stage of time we can continue to provide a safe and a quality service and uh, training and built for uh, accelerated path into interventional radiology, clinical specialty within or under the umbrella of radiology. And finally, my last question, what can SERSA do to support you? Well, SERSA uh, has a, a very good track record of, of so many achievements. Uh, SERSA is a very successful uh, society uh, in, in general and uh, I mean, if you look at other societies, I don't, I mean, Cersei is, is a unique in its success, but it can continue to contribute. One of the things that we, I would like to see more um, data uh, collection, it can play a, a lot of, uh, or a significant role in uh, data, mega data collection that uh, it can sponsor economic studies uh, that shows the, the value for money for IR and that will persuade authorities to develop IR, can continue in the, improving the visibility of IR. Um, I'd like to see more of the clinical guidelines. I've noticed that the guidelines coming from Cersei slow down when you compare them to the last 10 years ago in certain areas of, of practice. They're focusing on more things than others, and I think that is shouldn't be the case. Uh, EBIR should be marketed more at national uh, levels because that is uh, or should be uh, seen as an exit exam, which is an important for the qualification. Uh, and the and the encouragement of national societies to go for this. I mean, that there's a political role that. I mean, uh, I can't talk about details about it, but I think they should influence some national societies to wake up. Thank you very much.
Professor Amadi for your answers. We're now going to talk to Professor Lee. Professor Lee, I recently saw you sharing a webinar of Cersei about IR as a daycare service. I noticed that many speakers talked about the personal circumstances. Do you think that this could be a good initiative to get IR recognized as an independent specialty? Um, okay, so I suppose, first of all, this would be the start of a process in terms of exploring what uh, we can do with ambulatory care for IR, um, how we can actually, uh, I guess, push it uh, in terms of the European context uh, with Cersei and uh, with individuals. I, I guess at the start, you know, you got to start somewhere. And uh, yes, this was very generic. It was kind of like, you know, how how people do it or how it might be organized. Um, and what really comes across us is that it's so different in every single country in Europe. And uh, I mean, I think that's that's the difficulty in many ways. The health systems are different. The way they pay for things are different. The tariffs are different. Some countries have no tariffs. Some have con some countries have tariffs that actually are prices that actually favor inpatient care over day case or ambulatory care. So it's a bit of a, uh, a, a mess, really, in terms of trying to sort it out in the European context. So I suppose I don't know if that answers your question, but uh, I would see this as a start of a process, really, you know, um, uh, that will probably take a long time. At the end of the session, it became clear to me that independence is very closely related to the possibilities of direct reimbursement of our procedures. So, billing codes and billing rights. Can you comment on this? Yeah, no, I agree. And we did do a survey of European countries uh, before we did the webinar. And uh, basically, um, of the 22 of 27 countries who applied, eight had differences in terms of pricing for ambulatory care versus inpatient care. In three countries, the price for ambulatory care was higher than inpatient care, and in five countries, it was higher for, for inpatient care, thus making day case IR or ambulatory care impossible in those countries. Uh, and in the others, it was the same. There was no difference between inpatient care and outpatient care. That's a start in terms of uh, in terms of the process. So there are a lot of countries in Europe where the pricing is either similar for inpatient care versus outpatient care, or or better. And then there are some countries that where it's worse. So yeah, yes, billing is really important. Uh, but a lot of countries already have it in place that there are codes for IR procedures. So, um, you know, yes, there are some countries who will have extreme difficulty. And as a matter of changing that process at a local level in each country, perhaps with the support of, of CERSI and, and uh, with the support of the task force. Do you think we should do bottom up and top down at the same time? So I think a top-down and a bottom-up bottom -up approach could, could easily work and could well work. And in many cases, it is working. I mean, to give our own, my own situation, we've already started doing uh, 15 years ago ambulatory care processes. We take, um, we take uh, uh, letters from GPs in terms of referrals um, for, 
for certain procedures, and we do a lot of day case, uh, day case procedures. So, and that's actually a benefit to the hospital because the hospital get more money based on the number of day case procedures that are done. So if I are, are at the table doing more day cases, the hospital actually are very pleased. So uh, yes, it, it can be very beneficial, but clearly um, in terms of making up codes for our procedures, I think this is really, really where the kernel is. If we're not at the table in terms of making up the codes and having proper tariffs or proper prices for the procedures we do, then I think that's a real problem. And uh, sometimes I think having recognition as a specialty is a, is a way to actually aid that process and making sure that IR has a seat at the table when these codes are being made up. And I think that's, that's probably the key point. I want to thank Professor Hamadi and Professor Lee for sharing their thoughts and ideas with us and participating in this podcast. I think these discussions are hugely important for the future of interventional radiology. I want to thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share this podcast with your colleagues through social media. And I hope to welcome you all back for our next ZVR Endovascular podcast.